Come with me and you'll be in a world. Hello, welcome back to Cinematic, Cinematic Adventures. Adventures. This is Jackie. This month I am starting something new. This month you're gonna get a whole lot of me and a whole lot of blackness. This is Black History Month, and for this month, I am going to be talking to various folks of a certain melanin, melanated peoples, you should say, you could say. And we're talking about black films. Today, my guest is I am Camila Harris. So uh, no relation to uh, Kamala or anybody else um, <laughs> for that matter. Um, my name is actually spelled with the I and an H in it compared to her. So uh, yeah, I'm, and my Twitter handle is K 2 on Twitter. Okay, the movie that you wanted to talk about today is Stomp the Yard. What about Stomp the Yard drew you to it? Um, Stomp the Yard was one of those films that uh, I related to because out of high school, I attended a, a historically black college university or HBCU as uh, most people know it to be. Um, and it was my sophomore year that I actually pledged a sorority. Um, I pledged a Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. The chapter was Gamma Lambda chapter. Uh, on Johnson C. Smith University's uh, campus in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And so um, I'm familiar with a lot of the themes and narratives that um, that are in the movie. And so I uh, that that's what drew me to it in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So I'm the opposite. I, I didn't go to an HBCU. I went to art school. I didn't graduate. And I wasn't a sorority. I mean... So first of all, like if I went to a college, like a, a university, I doubt I would have been a sorority person. But at art school, like the only sorority is like we all went to the beach at the same time. Like that's the mm. closest. And like half of us drew the exact same thing when you we were it was freestyle and you could draw whatever you want. Like that's as close as we really got. Uh, <laughs> so so with you. So this is like personal for you. Right. Because you were you went to sorority. Yeah, um, it's it's personal for me. Um, yeah, I it it was my sophomore year that I was there. I mean, I ended up transferring schools mm-hmm. um, after my sophomore year um, for various reasons. But um, while I was there, I was very involved on campus, um, okay. and I I pledged my second year there with uh, eighty two other collegiate women um, on Damn. campus. So my line was a uh, big in, like com- in total comparison to what was in the film with uh, um, Columbus Short's character. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I really related to a lot of what happened in the film and uh-huh. stuff, not to give too much away, but it is, it is worth watching to get insight on colleges and universities that are like that, historically Black, yeah. Yeah, you know what? This is a spoiler-filled zone, so you can spoil away. <laughs> okay. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> with the movie so, okay so the first thing like the way i identify is like he was from la and moved to atlanta i just have to say even though her name is jackie that aunt lied she said <laughs> the first thing she said when he got off the bus was you'll get used to the humidity that half lied okay <laughs> because i'm from la and i went to atlanta and i was like oh no Mm-mm. no 
And I was like, we know how that ended. I'm not in Atlanta anymore. So mm. just getting that out of the way. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, tra- the school I transferred to um, was in Florida. And that was the first, and I'm from Los Angeles too. Uh, South Central, born and raised, Nipsey Hussle, all that stuff. So I, you know, when I went to Florida, I was like, hold up, like this is crazy, all this humidity and all that stuff. I didn't get it so much when I was in North Carolina at the HBCU. Um, that was more of the first time experiencing s- snow in a real way. Um, I had never uh, been in like snowstorms, and my dorm uh, had snow up to like half the door in front of my door. That wow. stuff I never experienced before, and so the same thing with humidity. <laughs> <laughs> in Florida, I was getting all kinds of uh, first time weather experiences on um, being a, a L.A. kid. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are not prepared for like actual weather It is not Never. something <laughs> we don't do either extreme cold or hot. We just <laughs> that's not our thing. We yep. don't do that. <laughs> if you need more than a fan or more than a sweater, we are not OK. I'm just going to let you know right now. OK, Yep. So okay, so um in the movie, Columbus Short plays DJ mm-hmm. and he oh that op- the opening part kills me because the whole time I'm team Chris Brown. I'm like, because okay. he was like, yo, we shouldn't be doing this, like we shouldn't do this on their home turf. And mm-hmm. he's like, Why are you so scared? And I'm like, homeboy, listen to your brother, like right. <laughs> And the thing that really pisses me off about that opening sequence is that the smart brother, the one that was like, hey, let's not do this because these people are the type of people that don't look like they'd let us spend it. He was right. And he's the one who got shot. Right. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Like, I, so I think that's how it is when you're off. like the younger sibling is like you're always kind of more right than your older sibling. And tell me about it. And then you try to tell them the right way, but you know how stubborn your older sibling is. I have an older, I have an older brother. So I, I really related personally, even to that, to that scene, to those scenes where, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, dude, <laughs> like understand what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> dude, I have an older brother and an older sister. They're both very, everybody in my family is smart. Okay. So I'm not some genius that like came out of nowhere. Like everybody in my family is smart. But there's book sense and there's common sense. Right. Not everybody in my family has both. Okay. (laughs) My sister has an abundance of book sense. Mm -hmm. Not so much in the common area. (laughs) So I remember when I was like, this is story time. I was a teenager. I was like, I was like 14, 14 or 15. And I know you're thinking like, oh, 14, 15, you thought you knew everything. No, no, no. I just thought I had common sense and I was right. So <laughs> we, were in, we were in the Midwest, we were in Missouri. And there was a snowstorm, like not a snowstorm, but like there was snow all over. And we, it was at Christmas time. We were dropped off from my parents to be, um, to go get some uh christmas presents like for some reason we that's just the what we were doing like we were all together i don't know why because we had everybody had their own car except for me because i was too young but for some reason that day we were like all leaving like all shopping together and so my parents were like all right we're gonna drop you off over here and we're gonna go over there and then we're gonna come get you now this is before there were cell phones but Mm -hmm. my parents had a car phone 
This was like the very beginning. It, it's a, the evolution into cell phones. So they had a, a phone in their car, right? Uh-huh. And we get dropped off. Like, yeah, show, another way to show my age. We get dropped off at a Blockbuster. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> right? And, um, and my parents were going like, maybe just a, like a mile or two away. And mm-hmm. my sister was like, at first I was like, you know what? Cause like what, what the shopping we were going to do, like we did it in an instant because I'm not one for shopping. So I'm like targeted. So I'm like, yeah. there, that's what we're here to get, get it. And let's go. So within yeah. like three minutes, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> so, <laughs> and at first I was like, huh, you know, our parents are going to take a while. Like we could just walk over there. And then yeah. she was like, no. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. And then like 10, 15 minutes later, she was like, let's go. We're, we're going to walk over there. And I was like, no, because by now it's too like, even though, yeah, I came up with the idea. I was like, yeah, you're right. But I also came up with that idea like immediately after we were done when I thought like it's going to take them a while. But by now right. it's been like 15 minutes. So I'm like, OK, they'll be here in a, f- in a few minutes. And she was like, no, we're going to walk over. And I was like, that's dumb. <laughs> They're going to be here in a few <laughs> minutes. And she was like, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. And yeah. mind you, I was like five seven at the time and the snow was like up to my waist or not not my waist but like my um the top of my legs oh wow and we were walking through like so instead of walking the normal way like what like walking up so in missouri there are like no sidewalks there's like no pedestrian thing everybody just has cars and so instead of walking like on the side my sister was like we're just gonna shortcut by walking through the snow and i was like this is a stupid idea because like my original idea wasn't to cut through the snow, <laughs> it was to go right. around. And I was, and even then I was like, no, you're right, that's dumb. Like we'll just wait for them. And uh. so we could wait in the heat inside Blockbuster, or we can go through the snow that's up to the top of my leg. So I'm like, you know, high stepping trying to get through this shit. And uh-huh. she's like six foot almost. So she like it's not that big a deal to her. It's you know, it's right. Like basically just just above her knees. And I'm like, no, this is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, no, 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 no. And I, like, I'm like, just, I'm like Chris Brown. I'm like, this is a dumb idea. Like, let's not do this. And she pulled a Chris, you know, Columbus short. And she was like, no, I'm the oldest. We're going to do it. So halfway through, we watched our parents' van go straight to Blockbuster. I was so. Oh. <laughs> so we're halfway between Blockbuster and where we were getting ready to go. And we watch our, pa- our parents' van just drive right by us. And of course, they don't see us because why would they be looking for two idiots in the snow? <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> I was so pissed. <laughs> but all of that to say, the younger sibling is usually right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like if you're in the middle, I guess you're kind of like just the neutral person. But yeah, most of the time, the, the youngest kind of is more observant of everyone else. So. Mm-hmm. You tend to be the one with the uh, the common sense or the street smarts, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, it's said all the time. Um, so yeah, I I've had those kind of stories too with my older brother uh, <laughs> <laughs> and me looking at him like you don't lost your mind. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So we have firmly established that it's better to be the youngest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh- <laughs> Oh, you know, so there's a scene when April is telling him, you know, towards the end of the movie, when he was Mm. like, my brother's dead and it's all my fault. And she's like, no, it's not. (laughs) I'm yelling at the screen. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm like, it absolutely is his fault. I just figured she was doing like the the whole supportive girlfriend thing, like making him not feel bad, you know, about but it is his fault. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. Another time I was yelling at the screen. So you know when they were like at the competition, like so many times. Okay. So the competition, not the main one at the end, but the mm-hmm. one between the old school, the old school and new school, where he and um, Brian White were like going up against each other, uh-huh. and he stepped out of line, and his team was like, "What the hell, yo? Like it's not about you." And I was like, "Oh my god, are you ever gonna learn that lesson?" <laughs> Literally, I thought you learned it when your brother died. Come on, what is wrong with you? He <laughs> was always in battle mode, and I think, I mean, even with like you know, rappers and stuff like when, when you kind of are used to, or your norm is to always be in a battle mode, to always be in like competition mode. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're not going to be the one who thinks first, which is why, you know, people should listen to their younger siblings or another sibling besides themselves. Um, <laughs> and really get that other yeah. perspective <laughs> yeah. to help you with your actions. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, but that's the thing though. Like, Oh, I felt like, this fool needed to have lessons like beat into him in order for him mm-hmm. to get it. Because right. like after his brother died, wouldn't that have been like right there? He gets a chance to be part of another team. Isn't that like, wouldn't that have been enough for you to be like, yo, yo, it's not about me. Like, so to me, I guess I have a bit of a hard time with this movie in that to me, the biggest catalyst for him to learn that team building lesson was when his brother died. Mm-hmm. But instead he does, he needs to learn it again and again and he doesn't get it until Brian White is like, it's not about you. It's about us. And then it's like, oh, it clicks now. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't the big, shouldn't the biggest catalyst have been his brother's death? Like, wouldn't that have thought him a lesson? Why? People like treat traumatic events like losing, you know, such a close relative as he did. They, they process it differently. So I think DJ's, you know, the character of DJ was basically you know, looking at it as, well, this this was just a traumatic event in my life that changed my life, essentially, because, you know, he also saw himself not really as like a college kid. Like when right. he went to uh to the university or whatever, it was like, well, I'm doing this because my mom, you know, wanted me to and my uncle's on my case, you know, and stuff like that. So that's why I'm here in Georgia, of all places. <laughs> having to <laughs> having to deal with this, you know, the consequences of what happened. So he wasn't really looking at it like, you know, oh, this is a lesson for me to learn until he involved himself, you know, in different scenarios on the campus, which a lot of the movie, you know, focuses on as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just he had to go through the process. That was just, you know, and some people have to. I mean, some people have to go through that process of I need to get hit over the head time and time again with different scenarios of the same lesson. Right. <laughs> to finally get the lesson. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because from uh, my perspective, I was like, he a damn fool. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay, let's talk about let's talk about the side characters, like the uncle. Mm. When I first saw this movie, I was a lot younger. It was, it was what 2006 when it came out? Uh January 2007. 2007. This is when it was okay. released. Yeah. Yeah. I was like in the in-between, right? I'm in between the uncle and DJ. I'm obviously older than DJ, but I feel like I was young. I'm I was still younger than the uncle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being youthful, you think you, you identify more with the youthful characters, right? 
Right. This time, my old ass watched this. And at first, so when I first watched it, I saw the uncle as a prick. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why is he such a dick, man? Now I watch it. And the very first time you see the uncle, he's kind of harsh. And you're mm-hmm. like, man, he's kind of a dick. And then in the next scene, I'm like, nah, he's right, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm all, I'm like, damn. I'm identifying I, with the uncle, shit. <laughs> yeah, it made me wonder what, what, because uh, this was, it seemed like it was from DJ's mother's side of the family, this uncle. Yeah, and his, so, the uncle so is like, DJ's mother's sister. I'm sorry, right. DJ's so I was mother's wondering brother. if he was older than the mother or if he was younger than the mother because he because he said a, he had said something in the um film about like when my sister was getting all over me and you know about you and and stuff and that's why you're here you know that kind of, that kind of attitude and I was like hmm I wonder if he was like the older brother that was getting hit by the younger sister of like dude take care of my kid or was it like a I don't think so I see yeah. so when I saw that scene I took it as she was heartbroken at the loss of her younger son. Mm-hmm. And she, the only, like, I, they never really mention anything about his father. Like, he's there's, right. there's literally no mention of his father at all, which right. is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when I first saw this, originally, I thought, and even the second time, because I just didn't remember, but mm-hmm. originally, I thought that his uncle was his dad. Like, maybe the, his parents were divorced because they literally mm-hmm. never mention his father in this movie at all. Right. I'm really? not sure if it was even intentional or not to not incorporate the father's side. I mean, because I'm guessing maybe the, the mother was a single mom. Well, yeah, you kind of have to because he didn't. they don't say your parents. They just say your mother. Mm-hmm. So the way I saw that conversation was it was as if like, okay, so she lost her son. And remember, he was convicted and had to go to juvie for a while. Mm-hmm. because of you know the incident with his brother um right. because of assault and right. I, I feel like what he meant was in conversations with his sister where his sister was like breaking down and she was like you know basically you know crying saying because like in a situation like that if you put yourself in the mother's shoes she mm-hmm. lost her one son right and that was the bright one that was going to go to school yeah and now she's got this other son and she's like he's the only thing left obviously she doesn't have a husband so this last son is her, you know, the, the her first son is the only thing left. And she's like, what am I going to do? And so she's probably blaming herself. Right. Like, I wasn't a good enough mother to be able mm-hmm. to raise two sons because one of them died. And mm-hmm. so I feel I feel like the uncle was listening to that. And he was like, OK, you know, bring him out here, send him out here. We'll put him through college. Don't worry. He'll be OK. That's mm-hmm. kind of I think that's the kind of the conversation, because. This time when I watched it, I was able to put myself in the uncle's shoes. And that's right. why I was like, yo, he's right. Like, get your ass in that truck. Because um, <laughs> I like I don't have any kids, but I have like all my relatives have kids. So I can see that happening. Like I could see somebody calling me and being like, yo, what am I doing? Like, I'm a terrible mother or I'm a terrible father because of something that their kid is doing and like mm-hmm. freaking out. And the way you offer, you know, condolences is you're like, okay, you know what? We're going to help the kid that you have left. So that's why I think that like, in my mind, that's how that conversation went. So I don't think she was necessarily like beating him up. I think she was like breaking down over what she would see as her her failure as being a mother. Right. And and Um, maybe the uncle was a little, I think he was kind of reluctant to step in at first, but then 
I think he saw how devastated and maybe traumatized his sister was and was like, okay, because you know how men are, they they want to fix things. (laughs) So it was like, okay, here's an offer that I can put on the table. And the funny thing was like him getting into that college was via the aunt, you know, because she Uh was the one who used to go to the school, which was another cool dynamic of the love triangle. Yeah. I remember the dinner table when she looked at him. I was like, "Oh shit, something's going on." You that that is a look that they know some shit. That that's why it was like when when he was. I mean, because of course you know DJ tends to get himself in in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. on the brink of totally having to deal with a major consequence that he might not be able to bounce back from. But you know, it was just funny how I think that was also part of his lesson learning was when he found out about that love triangle with. You know his aunt, his his uncle, and the president of the university. <laughs> yeah, that, was... That, was, that was that was like interesting to me. <laughs> but here's there's one thing that I find particularly interesting. It's the portrayal of all of the college characters because, okay, so coming from like the uppity perspective, you look at you would look at the college students as like, well, they're clearly the ones in the right. And, you know, Mm -hmm. here's this thug from the streets who doesn't know anything and he's not going to be a good boyfriend. And then this whole thing was like, nope, those guys are the assholes and the street dude is the good guy. (laughs) It was like (laughs) the whole and like because like when you get into it, the college got they really were assholes. Like uh, what was his name? Zeke? Yeah, Zeke. uh, That was played by Laz Alonzo. Um, He he's kind of like not not Laz Alonzo, the other guy, the guy, the guy who was dating the girl. Um, I think that might have been Darren Henson's character, Grant. That was the other that was the other guy that was also on that on because they were the fraternity, the Mu Gammas was the fraternity, uh the big fraternity on campus. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. And uh and yeah, and and Les Alonzo's character, uh Zeke, was like the president of the chapter. Yes. Um and Darren Henson's character, I don't know if he was like the vice president or like the uh what what they would call like the, the person in charge of like the membership intake, you know, that that type of person. So mm-hmm. so since they were like the, the big guys on campus, you know, compared to uh, Brian White's fraternity, the uh, the thetas or whatever. It was just that dynamic of I, that's where all the competition grew, which I think was also where uh, um, DJ, which is Columbus Short's character, was like also like into so much. I mean, he's used to that being a street dancer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like it, it was interesting because both of those fraternities actually approached him, like in the film. Yeah, because they saw they saw his moves and they were like, "Yo, we need that." Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part of the whole movie was when Brian White was standing next to Laz Alonso, and without looking at him, he's like, "Come back to bite you in the ass." <laughs> It was the ones who couldn't say a word. <laughs> he just gave that look, you know, you know, especially the, you know, the guys who have like the more uh, pronounced like uh, eyebrow lifts and, you know, uh-huh. lip, you know, things. It That was a very, very funny moment. It just, <laughs> Dude, at the time this movie came out, I was in love with Brian White. I Me thought too. he was the hottest dude ever. And so the whole movie, like at first I was pissed because I was like, why is Brian White only in like five scenes? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, I'm, a, I'm still a big like Brian White person. Um, that dude is always working. I don't know of a time when he's not. 
and and around around that time he um he was doing some things he he had uh did like one movie um that wrapped in uh in 2006, The Heart Specialist with Wood Harris, uh, Wood Harris and Zoe Saldana. Um, I recall seeing that in the in the theater um, when it actually came out in 2011. Um, but it was done. It, they were filming like all the cast was filming stuff like during that time that they filmed Stump the Yard, which was like crazy. I mean, all star cast. I mean, that was the, one of the other cool parts that I liked about Stump the Yard. But it was like an all star cast. Like, yeah, yeah. And you know, from music too, it was like from music and from from acting and movies and stuff like that. Um, that was another thing that I liked about it. Um, because Neo uh was between his between his first and second albums, and those were popular and everything, and he did this film. Yep. And <laughs> so he was a uh, Columbus Short's roommate. Right. And and yeah, and he was uh he uh also ended up doing the same fraternity with Columbus Short's character. So it, well, they kind of didn't have a choice because his temp, like uh, DJ's temper, kept them from getting into the the other team. Because remember, originally they were gonna pledge to the big one, and yeah. Columbus Short, of course, his temper got in the way. He came in, started some shit, and then Homeboy was like, "Yeah, you can't pledge anymore." So they didn't really have a choice. They had to pledge to like, because basically the way they had it set up was Zeke's. Um, his group was the number one, but mm-hmm. then Brian White's group was number two. Right. So if you can't get a number one, then obviously you go to number two. You're not going to go to like number nine. <laughs> you know? Right. It, it, well, I, I mean, I think what, what I also liked about Neo's character, um, I found out uh, Neo's character's name was Rich Brown. He, he was one of those Intel guys on campus. Uh, he knew all the, all the juicy t- details about the fraternities and who was first and, who's in them and you know he was one of those guys also he, he was considering uh joining a fraternity um as well i think dj in the beginning you know didn't really care about that he was just trying to survive school yeah um but the more you know the more rich was like yeah you know i gotta have my roommate roll with me to you know <laughs> different places on campus and different stuff um that that's when i think dj started to kind of open up and say well this is a new experience so i might as well dive into it see if i fit in i don't i still don't even think it was um, that i think it was the um the hall when he, oh well yeah well that was, that was the part i think he came to an epiphany yeah when he when he went, went into that hall where he saw all the actual divine not that was another thing i liked about the film they mm-hmm. did incorporate what is known as the Divine Nine or the uh, BGLO's Black Greek Lettered Organizations um, in the film. And that that hall scene where he came to that epiphany of why he did, you know, the Thetas fraternity was very cool. I think you saw, you know, like some of the notable uh, members of the different organizations and all that kind of stuff. And he was just fascinated by it. And I, I mean, was, like. Every black figure. I think Fred Hampton is the only one that wasn't up there. Because you had like Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Coretta Scott King. I'm pretty sure Mm. Thurgood Marshall was on there. Like everybody that you've ever heard of in black history was on that wall. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther King and uh, Thurgood Marshall, they were alphas. So, um, and then Coretta Scott King was um, AKA or Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, as we uh, call them as well. and I, I believe they did go through some of the other notables in different organizations as well, like the Zetas and 
the iotas and deltas, which you know I'm in and stuff like that. You and then even the cafeteria, they was doing stepping in the cafeteria. If you recall that uh, scene, mm-hmm. um, and they incorporated some of those organizations as well. Hmm. So, um, so yeah. did you ever join a step team? Oh no, um, <laughs> I, I, I tried out, and then you know my sores and losses and stuff was like, this ain't your calling, like. No, <laughs> and um, oh, and so I was like, okay. I'm heard. I'll just learn how to stroll or I'll learn how to do some do something else like the actual business side of you know being in a sorority kind of thing. But yeah, I, I was told like stepping is just not <laughs> uh, don't do that. Not my cup of tea. It's not my talent. <laughs> hilarious. Oh, uh, okay. So <laughs> first of all, sorry, that was funny. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it was like, okay. I know that about myself. Great. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Got it. Not signing up for ballet class. Understood. <laughs> yep. The only thing I really liked about the whole, like that, the whole sorority thing is the competition, like the step competition. I'm pretty sure had I gone to a standard university, I, I wouldn't have joined a sorority. It's just not mm. my thing. Unless there was, I kind of would have been like, like, DJ's character were like, I've just been doing my own thing. And the only reason I would have joined is if it's something like, you know, something I wanted to do. And they're like, yo, we can go to nationals. And then I'd be like, okay, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. For, for me, uh, I actually, um, I actually joined my sorority partially because I, I had an older sister that died um, before I was born, like the year before I was born. Oh. So um, wow. she only lived like 19 months. Ah. And so um, I kind of had that void of like sisterhood because I was like, oh, I should have been a sister. Mm-hmm. And so I thought like while I was in school, like, oh, that's an opportunity, you know, to join something that is, you know, based in sisterhood is a sorority. Oh, okay. um, so I uh, went ahead and just started like studying like different books, people brought my way or whatever about the sororities. And I also looked at the chapters that were on my campus. Now, when I made my decision to do, uh, to do Delta, it was like very comprehensive. Hmm, Um, and, uh, and I figured, Oh, I was like, well, I pretty much align with these people anyway. And the chapter is awesome. I mean, they pretty much, as we say, run the yard. So, um, I was like, why not? I'll give this a try. Now I was hanging out with three other girls that I met as a freshman. Uh, we were sophomores at the time, and uh, and I didn't know any of them were considering a, a a sorority at all, let alone this particular sorority. So we were sitting having a conversation one day, like about the sororities and stuff. And then I said, "Yeah, you know, I'm deciding, you know, to pledge Delta." And then two of them went, "Me too." And then the third one out the blue said, "Me too." And I looked at her and I said, "I thought you was a Zeta." <laughs> She looked, she gave me the craziest look I've ever witnessed. Like, are you serious? Like, she, I mean, it was one of those kind of things. So we ended up all pledging together. Okay. Me and my three friends, we pledged uh, Delta together. And everyone has their different reasons for why they join a sorority mm-hmm. um, or a fraternity. And I think in a sense, D- DJ was similar to me in that, like, he lost a brother and, uh, him, you know, coming to that realization, oh, this is like the the filler to 
the loss. Like you can actually have a you know a whole set of new brothers, or in my case, new sisters. That kind of I mean, it doesn't totally fill the void, but it brings new meaning to what you should have been or felt that you should have been. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry about your loss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was like before I was born, so I didn't like take it too deeply in that sense of, you know, it being a family loss, but it was that thought of, I should have been a sister and I never got to experience that. Hmm. So, um, so I think DJ, you know, to bring it back to the movie, I think also DJ had that kind of sense, like when he was in that hall and came to that epiphany about, oh, wow, this is like a network of people that I could really have personal relationships with and be a part of a team and enjoy that that camaraderie and that bond of like brotherhood and sisterhood and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm the exact opposite. I have a <laughs> sister and a brother, so I'm like, ah, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think if my sister had anymore. lived, I would have never done a sorority. Oh, I would have okay. I would have never done it if my, my sister was alive. I mean, unless mm. my sister did it. So that's another thing, like the whole legacy thing where if your grandma or your in fraternity since your grandpa is an alpha or something, you know, mm. and you might be inspired to, you know, carry the legacy of the family, that kind of thing. Uh, that happens too. Um, but yeah, if my sister had lived, I don't think I would have done it either. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, the one the thing that drives me the most crazy about this entire movie is this fool was willing to wreck his life, wreck everything over a girl. Like, how many times did he start <laughs> shit just trying to get to her? I'm like, look, she's pretty, but come on, man, you're literally like, you're you're not doing school because of her. You're like getting in fights because you're just trying to go talk to her. She has a boyfriend. Let it go. Nah, he can't let it go. And and, I, and it was funny because that that storyline of of you know him falling in love on campus and stuff like it paralleled with the uncle and the aunt, mm-hmm. which was like I was like what like because because Darren Darren Henson's character was the boyfriend mm-hmm. of the original boyfriend and he was in that top fraternity the Mu Gammas. And so yeah, but he was a dick. He did not even care about her. He was treating her like she was property. Mm-hmm. Like she was supposed to be with him because duh, of course. And I feel like he got, he was able to be that cocky because her father was pretty much telling him that. Yeah. It, it was co-signed. It was co-signed by, yeah. the father And the father was the president of the university, which was the other. <laughs> yeah. That was... I'm you, this is, I mean, that's what I liked about the film is like even the dramatic elements, the uh, weaves in it, it felt a little uh, soap opera like um, to discover who the different people were. And the backgrounds, especially of the actual adults <laughs> out of the yeah. thing, not the college kids, and how that all was kind of like history repeating itself. <laughs> yeah. That that whole situation, like with the um with the father. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. It's the same thing. Like I feel like I would I would like to see a movie like from her perspective because she was in a shit situation. Like her dad was a dick, her boyfriend was a dick. And then she's introduced to this guy who, yeah, he treated her right. But to me, he was a little too smooth. Like he was too, I don't, I don't like charming people. Uh-uh, back up. Like some, you hiding something. I don't like that. <laughs> so, I, I was, so. I, it was odd the way he was kind of like the chaser of her. Oh, uh, not kind of like, like that fool almost ran into her trying to chase her. 
Yeah, it, it really was like a runner chaser dynamic that I guess ended up like super sweet in the end. But it was, it was. He was straight weird. up stalking her ass in the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it was creepy. Like no, buddy. Uh uh-uh. uh. Even if I didn't have a boyfriend, back all the way up, homie. Like, how did you show up here? No. Like he knew exactly when she was doing tutoring and all that kind of stuff. Like that, that would have been like, dude, like. And that's before. See, that is. This was in two thousand six. When uh, yes, there was the internet, but it's not like you could Google what's her class schedule and find it. No, he had mm-hmm. to like physically do the groundwork to find it. Oh, you doing too much? No, nope. right. you should be studying for something. I don't even know, but just no, you doing too right. much. I mean, because I think that's why a lot of people probably took it. Out. I mean, because there are a certain demographic of women who like, oh, I would love if someone was coming after me like that and was trying to get my attention. Oh. Nope. <laughs> I'm like, look, dude, like, can can we just have a regular conversation, figure out what's going on with you? Because I don't like this talking. <laughs> right? Because he, and she was, you know, to her credit, she was like that in the beginning. She was like, okay, right. creeper, back up off of me, quit stalking me. But then she was just like, oh, he kind of cute. Like, no, bitch, you have a boyfriend. <laughs> what right. are you doing? <laughs> Ended up in the club. I was like, um, I know. Like, no, we can't go out because I have a boyfriend. So instead, I'm gonna take you on the outskirts of town to a bar nobody's heard of, and then like right. we'll do some dancing, and I might kiss you. Like that is not appropriate mm. behavior when you have a boyfriend. By the way, just so people don't like cancel my ass and be like, yeah, streaming her. No, watch the movie. Okay. Yes, watch that. <laughs> She said, no, I have a boyfriend. I cannot go out with you. And then she does anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? like, like that friends, that friends uh thing. Cause it was it was more like the more he came like to to be around her and stuff, and they started having these little chit chats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That door opened. Yeah, you know, she had a boyfriend, she allowed that door to open. The <laughs> number one way she opened that door was because she again she was shutting him down, shutting him down. Right. But then when he was like, if I get an answer right, but you know, take let go out to dinner with me, she should have been like, no, <laughs> because mm-hmm. obviously she would think that he would get the answer right because she's tutoring him unless she's a shit tutor. Since she's the tutor, she would know if you ask him a question, she would know what he, you know, that he's going to answer correctly, especially since he only got a tutor to be around her. He didn't need a tutor. Right. Because as we <laughs> saw, like before he joined the, the uh, fraternity, he was studying like he was yeah. and I I that's why I kind of default back to the uncle being right because mm-hmm. again when the uncle like when he's sitting there and the uncle was like first thing rules three rules number one <laughs> you know and then finally homeboy gets to he's like okay what's number three three strikes you're out <laughs> so I was like <laughs> again when I saw it when I was younger I was like oh he's a prick and now I'm like yeah <laughs> 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 it's, it's amazing what you learn about characters in films the older you are compared to you know being a young viewer of that same film yeah i'm the same because no, now like i i have a cousin who's like a nephew to me and i would do the exact same thing to his ass mm. <laughs> exact same thing because like i'm the adult and like he's you know he's come to me for advice and i'm exactly like that uncle like uh-uh mm. you can try that shit with your mama but not with me <laughs> right uh. no oh shit i'm old <laughs> hey i'm pushing it so <laughs> damn i'm sitting here identifying with the uncles and shit what is going on? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I even like the nurturing sense of the aunt, too. I mean, even though the aunt, in a way, was like the, the centerpiece of some of the, you know, triangle drama and all that. She was kind of like in that same position as, you know, as April, Megan Good's character. Um, Like, just the older version of it. I mean, that, you know, and, and, and I thought that was even interesting, too. Because she was even standing there listening to her dad, like, wait a minute. There's some tea. I didn't know about this. <laughs> what, what well, it... <laughs> To me, it shows a history of him and Darren Henson's character. Both of them, mm. they just automatically, women aren't people to them. Right. Like, because how dare she make a decision that he didn't agree with? She should, like, he just assumed, like, oh, you don't have a good life because you're not married to me. Excuse me? Who the hell made you the prize? Like, no, she's happy with who she's with. And she made the decision. And that's the thing that has been taken out of this whole situation in no case did he think, Oh, these women can make a decision to be with who they want. Right. It was, I'm going to make the decision for you. How dare you disobey me? And, and I think even uh, April uh, herself uh, was like finding that she was repeating a pattern because if her father was that way with DJ's aunt, then it explains Darren Hintz's character, you know, her boyfriend and, you know, the character he was. It was like, whoa, like, did I just repeat, like, <laughs> the same pattern in my family of ending up with guys like him? I don't even think when she broke up with him, I don't think she knew that yet because she hadn't heard about about the, the triangle yet. I yeah, think it, was, she... it was later. I think it was her epiphany in the film. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, when she broke up with him, I feel like she was just, it was just a basic, like, you see me as an object. Like, you don't even know my favorite color, and it genuinely doesn't matter to you. Like, you, right. you don't even care. Whereas Homeboy has been studying everything I do. Still creepy as hell. Throwing it out there. But okay? <laughs> throwing it out there. Creepy as shit. Don't need to be worshiping people. Okay? Just humans. Because, like, like, come on now. Homeboy is uh, like, he's got a psych profile on her. I'm like, come on, man. I don't recall like because I mean there are those love stories on campus that evolve in different ways um you know just like with any college or university where they have the college sweethearts and all that kind of stuff so I mean I I like that angle of it that they did have kind of like a college sweetheart story I just didn't know it was going to be as dramatic (laughs) as it was Mm -hmm. in the film and and crossing so many storylines uh too as well um he ended up being a good guy, but like, homeboy's creepy as hell. He's not even like (laughs) stalking her, trying to find out where she is so that he can be there. Like, nah, man. And then like studying her every move. He even said it. He was like, I've I know everything about you. Okay, bye. I don't know everything about me because there's some shit I'm sure I forgot. No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even know me that well. Please do not obsess over me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) like uh uh-uh nope i'm sure there are things that you really 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 like but it's like please don't obsess over me i'm just (laughs) (laughs) okay so what was your favorite thing about the movie um i would say my favorite thing about the movie was just the different angles of it um you know just the different storylines that came out of it because i mean like i said i'm all too familiar with like the campus environment of a historically black college university so a lot of things on that campus were not uncommon i mean 
even the part, I think there was a part when Megan Good's father, the president of the university, where he was talking about trustee stuff, you know, and I was like, I'm familiar with that kind of dynamic as well. Also, even, even the love stories that come out of HBCU campuses, those very sweet, like, oh, you know, but I, they weren't like the stories that I know of weren't all stalkerish, <laughs> like what happened with, with April's. Uh, thing. Um, just very, you know, just e- evolutionary um, in a sense, you know, boy meets girl situations. Um, and Good. then the fraternity. Glad there aren't that many stalker encounters. Yeah. <laughs> we can't have this whole notion out in the universe about Black people stalking other Black people to fall in love. That's just not... <laughs> it's not, you know, I don't think it's a Black people trope. It's just a romantic <laughs> comedy trope or a romantic movie trope. Well, that, yeah. Yeah, because it's just like because like in romantic movies, like that's how you have movies like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey In romantic movies. Nothing that nothing that happens in a romantic movie is actually like romantic in real life. Right. Like, look at Fifty Shades of Grey. There was they're not Fifty Shades. Was it uh, Twilight? The one that it's based on both of them. Yeah, this is like like this. These are abusive relationships. No, that's not good. You know? Yes. So yeah. I, I think it's just like a I think it's a Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. so yeah just don't basically don't base your life on hollywood that shit is not real yes because don't real life, shit life, life either <laughs> yes do not stalk people if they say no keep it stepping there are right. literally billions of people on this planet it doesn't have to be that one person right mm-hmm. and even if it is that one person let them magnetize toward you like let them come to you as opposed to like chasing them because It'll come back around if they're, you know, if they're really meant for you. If not, then just let it go. You know what? I don't mind the chasing. I mind the stalking. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> like right. if you if you want to like if you guys hang out together and you are like, hey, you know, that you know, you're constantly like talking to her. I'm fine with that. But yeah. the whole like learning her schedule, don't do that, boo. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, yeah. Don't, don't, no. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't like damn near run her over just to try to say hi. Don't do shit like that. Okay. Back up off of her is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah. While she's jogging too. I was like, dude, like. <laughs> yeah. And she can't, like, he, did, he tried to say something, but she had headphones in. She can't hear him. Right. So, and he's got, you know, that loud ass motor. She probably couldn't hear him anyway, even if she didn't mm-hmm. have headphones. So, you know, I'm saying right. like, don't drop everything over a girl. You will see her again. Calm down. Right. It is and not it's that a, serious. With HBCUs, they're, a lot of them are relatively small. It, re, okay. They're like relatively small towns. Like pretty much everybody knows everybody. And see? You'll meet you her don't know everybody. You're likely going to run into them. And there end up go. probably in some kind of chit chat or something, whether in class or in the cafeteria or wherever. So I will um, say this about Georgia itself. I feel like I'm related to everybody that's there. Or at least that was like I've heard now a lot of um, there's been a lot of immigration in. So it's not it's not the people who were there before because there's like new people there. But mm-hmm. back in like the 90s, when I was in Georgia, everybody and I'm telling you, I went to the Piggly Wiggly and people would be like, oh, is your grandmama so and so. I'd be like, who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> I'm your cousin on so and so side. Like, OK, I've never seen you before in my life. I don't know how you even know who I am. And I'm really creeped out right now. But that was like everywhere you went. <laughs> like uh, It was like every black person I was related to, to the point where like, so I'm from California, but then I was taken to the Midwest where there's like no black people at all. And so yeah. then to be planted in Atlanta where it's all black people pretty much. Yeah. 
And for all of them to be related to me, I was like, I remember looking at my sister. I was like, are all black people really related to each other? Because why are these people coming out of the woodwork saying that they're related <laughs> to us? And she just laughed. I don't, I don't know what her answer would have been because she just laughed at me. Um, but yeah, it's like, I'm, seriously, though, I feel like all of Atlanta is a small town. Like it's a huge, yeah. it's, it's a big town. It's not, it's, it's nothing like LA, but it's like, it's a big town, but I'm related to everybody. <laughs> so. yeah, and, and they also have like a whole like college center uh, where you see, you know, Morris Brown and you see mm-hmm. Spellman and you see Morehouse and you see at Clark Atlanta. So, I mean, like it's, it's also a college town too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta. So yeah, yeah I was originally supposed to go. And it's like, did your mama go to Clark Atlanta? No, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was supposed to go there. Um, I It was still the Art Institute, but I was supposed to go to the Art Institute of Atlanta. Mm. But I did not. Yeah, so, I was supposed to go to uh, Morris Brown, but then they had a financial aid scandal that kind of uh, stopped me from going there. So <laughs> so any final thoughts on Stomp the Yard? Um, I would I would tell people to, to see it, um, to definitely watch it. Uh, if you if you still curious about what a historically black college or university is like, it's a good film for that, especially when it comes to those fraternities and sororities that you hear a lot about in our black community and stuff like that. Yeah, I think people would enjoy it. There are some moments where you get some laughs. You'll have some thought provoking moments in it, too. And then there's like I said, it, it's kind of like a soap opera in a lot of ways. You're going to find out some some juicy tea on some stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of stomping. And there's a lot of stomping. There's also, you know, for women, uh, there's also a lot of eye candy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that scene when they're on top of Stone Mountain, which, by the way, oh, yes. like to me, the irony of having a bunch of black men on top of Stone Mountain, which is essentially a monument to racism. Mm. <laughs> so. <laughs> have them all standing on top of it, like posing. I was like, well, looky here. <laughs> yeah, Stone Mountain has a very controversial um, background. Let's let's put it that way. It, it, but I think uh, the director probably saw that it's just a great place to <laughs> for them to do yeah. that kind of uh, scene. Well, because I mean, because, okay, looking at it from the non-historical perspective, it's mm-hmm. a monument in Georgia which, mm. you know, is a place that doesn't have a lot. I mean, mm. they had, like, they could have done, you know, the Martin Luther King Museum, but, you know, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but, like, as far as, like, you know, land monuments, that's probably what, you know, that, that's probably the most well-known in Georgia. Right. It's also, you know, Mount Racism. So I don't know if a Black movie should, I don't know. Maybe maybe give some history to it if you're gonna go there, you know, be like, hey. Right. I, I found out that the director of Off the Yard actually was born and raised in Paris, France. And he ended up going to a, a school in LA, a college in LA. And that's how he got into his filmmaking and stuff. So I was like, well, maybe there's some parts that he didn't know when it came to like <laughs> that particular mountain. Yeah. But uh, he just thought it would be cinematically like, I guess, good for that. Uh that scene particularly um that that was my guess with him that's what i assumed i assumed that like that's that's the that's a monument like when you see it you know you're in georgia right but you know still though it's kind of like Mount it's, still, it's still a good eye candy scene though we try not yes. to discourage it too much <laughs> yes so the reason she says that is because in that scene they're all stomping it's like like 30 40 black dudes stomping and they all 
they are all none of them are wearing a shirt. And every single like you thought 300 was ripped. These dudes mm-hmm. are every single one of them. Every single one of them. Like every one of them was straight up ripped. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, and then of course you had Michael or not Michael, um Brian White just out in front. Uh, he was just beaming up front. Like I was just like standing Hi. right. <laughs> And I was like, everybody else take about 10 steps back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for all those people who were about colorism and all that stuff, like, no. I mean, there's plenty of chocolate, too, that I like. You know? <laughs> but just Brian White, you know, he's kind of that, you know, light skin is in side of things. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I'm wondering if they all had to go through, like, like, do they just look like that? Or did they actually have to go through like some kind of training to get that way? Because I was wondering through watching this movie, I'm like, I don't think they had to train to look that way because these guys, like after doing one routine, buckets of sweat are falling off of these dudes. Right. And like, when I you see so what they're doing, you're like, Mm-mm, I can't do that. And I used to do martial arts. Like I, I don't, I would pass out halfway through the first one. Yeah, I heard they they had like um because uh, if you had ever got like the DVD or whatever they did like the behind the scenes of the film and mm-hmm. yet yeah, they literally had long like ten to twelve hour sessions of doing those routines like over and over again to get the right shots and to get you know to see if there was some improv with it and and all that kind of stuff and you know try to incorporate you know those things into the film but yeah they was like literally like sweating hard with those yeah things. and I these think, dudes are in shape i don't have a chance i mean and, i mean they might have did some training probably before they started filming mm-hmm. but because of how physical you know stepping is and you know and they was going hard i mean when people watch mm-hmm. you know if people haven't seen the movie definitely check out those those uh performance scenes because they put a lot of work into those and the choreography was just like off the charts so um yeah, they they were sweating. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, that that was a workout in and of itself. But just even shooting those scenes was was a workout. Shit, Forget I felt like I worked out just watching them. Damn. <laughs> yeah. And then I immediately felt like unworthy of the body that I inhabit. Like, mm-mm, I'm just sitting, like my fat ass is sitting here watching them. I feel like I need to, you know, you, there's some movies that like when you watch a Kung Fu movie, you're like, I need to go do martial arts. After watching this, I was like, I need to spend about 10 hours a day in a gym because like just sitting around doing nothing. You, you never. Yeah, go I feel like stepping is like cardio in and of itself. I mean, as hard as they was doing it and with, you know, the very the very like succinctness, I mean, because it was a, usually stepping is a team thing. It's not an individual thing. It's a team thing. So they had to coordinate, you know in different, you know, parts of it, you know, I mean, it's similar to even, you know, Chris Brown and, you know, Columbus Short's uh, battle, you know, dance battle scenes. Yep. A lot of physicality in them, you know, and then there's a lot of adrenaline and, you know, with the battle element. And so, yeah, you pretty much get everything exercise out of watching this film for sure. Did, every moment yeah. that I was watching this movie, I was like, I am lazy as fuck. Yeah. Like, I'm like I'm a big girl and I don't know if I can do all that. Just, just mm-hmm. <laughs> like the only thing, like these dudes are like flipping in the air and shit, and I'm like, mm-hmm. flip a burger patty. I said, "My thought." Oh, crazy! No, <laughs> but for real though, like I have a gym membership. If it weren't for the pandemic, whew, if it weren't for the pandemic, as soon as I finished watching this, I would go work out. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> or, or find or just find some kind of way to be like, okay, I'm gonna do a little bit. At least give me, I'll I'll be in a step in the right direction. <laughs> right. Do some jazzercise or some shit. I don't know. Tybo. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I forgot about Tybo. That was hundred years ago. What's <laughs> crazy is like when it was when it was in its heyday, it was everywhere. I think that's how it is with a lot of these fitness people. It's like, okay, let me see how well this goes and how popular it gets. And then when it's when it seemed like it's tapering off, they just take the money and run. You take like, the money and run. <laughs> run and live. Might even gain some weight for a little bit and then go back. <laughs> right. Gain, then leave. Gain weight, lose the weight, come back and be like, here's how I did it. <laughs> or have a new have a new program. You know, <laughs> yeah. Have a new have program. Be like, here's how I like I gained weight and here's how I here's how I lost it. Give me all your money. I call that the Christian Bale diet. <laughs> that fool, he will go from like, okay, so have you seen The Machinist? No, but I think I, I want to though. Oh my gosh. It's a good movie, not uh-huh. easy to watch. But mm. that fool ends up being about 12 pounds. He literally went from that movie where he was like, oh, like he he was skin and bones. He went mm. from that to Batman in a matter of months. He literally went wow. from the thinnest he has ever been in his life to completely fit for Batman Begins. Dude, he was like a great programs, like crazy straight to it do was, that. It's it. You gotta. So the the crazy thing is, you gotta watch those movies back to back. It will blow your mind because he has there in both movies. He has a shirtless scene, and it's not CGI. Both of them are him. He is stupid thin, like to the point of death in the Machinist. And then you turn around and you watch him in Batman Begins, where he is super, like not super buff, but he's like he's totally buff and he's filled out again. But he's not fat because some people go from like you know when they yo-yo like that they end up fat. Dude, he's been in a movie where he was fat, and then like a couple movies later, he's perfectly normal again. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's like he pushes a button and just becomes the body he needs to be. Dude, he had a normalcy that I probably would never understand if I were to actually be in his shoes. I'd be like, how do you do this? Like, (laughs) there are people who say like, you know, he uses steroids and stuff, but still. How do you not? Because he he goes so drastically from one stage to the next. Mm-hmm. And I the only thing I can think of is like, it must be because since he's an actor, he's embodying this character. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what happens is he just lives in that. He lives in that body while he's that character. And then right. when he's done, he lets it go. And he just goes back to his normal body. Mm-hmm. because like a normal person you are in the body you're in you know you don't you don't go up and down. i mean some people may like yo-yo diet but like most people don't go from like concentration camp skinny to like you know batman buff to like overweight to back to normal your normal basal body most people can't do that and he can do that in the drop of a dime yeah that's what even impressed me about about the time that stomp the art came out was the following year, because it was released in, in 2007, but there were movies in 2007 that came out like this Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot, well, several, well, I want to say several, but like a few of the characters or, or the actors that were in Stump Yard, they were in this Christmas, uh, Say the Last Three Dance. Yeah, Say the Last Dance 2. Yeah. Uh, Neo and um, and Columbus Short were in that one. Columbus Short was the lead. 
So and, I mean, and this Christmas it was um it was Chris Brown, Columbus Short, and Laz Alonzo. Laz Alonzo, yeah, right. So it was a lot of parallel acting and filming going on between like 2005 and 2007, mm-hmm. uh, including this particular movie, which yeah. I, which I was like, dude, like <laughs> you had to shift gears on characters and you know, and opportunities were just coming overall in you know black filmmaking, and and it was exciting time. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Any parting thoughts? I I'm good. This was this was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, because it's like I'm not a crazy movie buff, um, but films like this one I've seen like more than once. And, you know, I have, you know, it's good to like dive into like the films, you know, and their their uh, different themes and their different topics that may pop up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, de- I definitely enjoyed that conversation. So Good. Yeah. Good. Um, OK, so where can people find you? Um, people can find me um, on social media like Twitter, Facebook. Um, I'm basically uh D-A-H-O-M-I-E-K, Dahomey K. Um, on Twitter, uh, just add the number two at the end. Uh, that's the Twitter handle. And um, everything else is just, you know, Dahomey K, Instagram. All right, cool. Thank yeah. you for stopping by and talking Stomp the Yard. Thank you. <laughs> if you like this episode, do us a favor. If you're listening through Apple, give us a five-star rating or any other app. Drop us a like. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can hear new episodes when they come out. Thanks.